Welcome to Plum Creek. I'm glad you chose to worship with us, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. You know, after a week like this one, it's so important to come together and worship and seek God, seek His presence and His power. Over the past few days, as I watched the news of the war between Russia and Ukraine, I kept thinking about the prayer, that's the theme this year at Plum Creek, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. It's pretty clear as we look at the world right now, there are many places where God's will is not being done. And we're praying for that to change. And at the end of this service, we'll have a special time of prayer, not just about the war, but about lots of issues that we need to bring to God. In the meantime, though, we're going to continue our series on the kingdom of God. And before we get to that, I need to give you a few updates. First, I want to let you know that we've been distributing our beans and rice offering to the people and the ministries that we're supporting uh, you may remember that we're giving scholarships to three Plum Creek College students who are going to serve as interns in Nepal this summer with disciple makers. Uh, we let the students know that these scholarships will cover almost a third of the total amount that they need to raise, and these guys were pretty excited about that. I'll, I'll share a few quotes with you. Uh, one of them emailed and said, Wow, 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 <laughs> that is amazing news. Another one said, I am so thankful for our church family and for everyone's support. The third student said, I'm very excited to see Plum Creek being so generous and dedicated to advancing the kingdom of God. And I have to say that that makes me excited too. We also heard from Camp Northward, which is another one of our beans and rice projects. Uh, they posted on Facebook and they said, Camp Northward is feeling especially loved today. Thank you, Plum Creek Christian Church. This offering is going to the 10,000 Reasons Capital Campaign, which in turn will be stewarded to shape campers' experiences and lives in the future. We appreciate you. And I want to echo that appreciation. Uh, if you gave toward this beans and rice offering, I want to say thank you. And uh, in the next... Uh, few weeks and months, we'll continue to give updates about what happens with this offering, in, including uh, those goats in Nepal. Uh, I'll keep you posted on that. So that's one kingdom challenge, and last week we started another one. Uh, last week was called Say Yes Sunday, and we have a big goal here. Our goal is to fill every open volunteer role that we have in every ministry before we get to Easter. And we're off to a great start. Last Sunday, many of you signed up to serve in one area or another. And if you didn't get to do that, there's still, there's still time for you to find a place to serve. Uh, on our website, you can go to plumcreek.org serve, and you can see a list of volunteer opportunities there and get signed up. And you can also pick up one of the handouts that we have at the Information Center, and, and you can find the same information there. All right, so let's get back to our crash course on the kingdom of God. Uh, today's sermon is called Kingdom of Power. And on the one hand, I'm really excited about this sermon because it feels especially appropriate with everything going on in the world right now. On the other hand, though, I'm aware that this sermon may be intense. 
because we're about to step into enemy territory. We're going to talk about the reality of evil in this world. And that's okay, because the kingdom of God is infinitely more powerful than the kingdom of evil. There will be times in this life where you feel like you're under attack. But if God is for us, and we're on His side, it doesn't matter who's against us. At the same time, though, we need to remember that we do have a real enemy. And our enemy is not a person or a group of people. Our enemy is not a disease or a disaster or any other physical entity. We can identify our enemy in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians here, and he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the powers of this dark world, and the, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what's Paul talking about here? The powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, Paul is not using a metaphor here. He's talking about Satan, demons, invisible evil beings. That may sound weird to some of us, but the Bible is clear about this. There are many things happening behind the scenes that we just can't see. And this morning, we're going to look at a story where Jesus teaches us about our spiritual enemy. And just a little background here, there's a lot of mystery around this issue, even in the Bible. There's a lot we don't know about Satan. There's a lot we don't know about demons. And the Bible does give us some helpful information about the spiritual world, but not as much as we might like. At the same time, though, I have to believe that God knows what he's doing here. Uh, it's probably wise for us to be ignorant in some areas. In the meantime, though, what do we do with this mystery? The reality is, Christians are all over the map when it comes to the supernatural. Uh, some Christians are overly fascinated by the spiritual forces of evil. Kind of like, shoot, my toaster's not working. I think it's possessed by a demon. And that, that's an exaggeration, but that is one extreme. There's also another extreme where you might find Christians. Some Christians minimize and downplay the powers of the dark world. And then finally, there are some people who claim to be Christians, but they just don't believe that Satan and demons are even real. Sounds like a fairy tale. Sounds like something out of a movie. But God's word is consistent here. And based on Ephesians 6.12, it is a dangerous thing to ignore these spiritual powers or deny their existence. So I've got to ask, what about you? Do you believe that we have real spiritual enemies? Do you believe that there are supernatural beings out to destroy you? Well, I can only speak for myself, but I do believe. And I'll give you a couple reasons why. For one thing, Jesus believed. When you read the Gospels, there's no question about that. Another reason I believe is because of what I've seen and experienced in my life. I'm going to tell you a story that I've never shared in a sermon before. In fact, I never shared this story with my wife 
until this week. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to tell you this, but I believe that God put it on my heart. So here it goes. Over 25 years ago, when I was a college student, I was part of, part of the faculty at a week of summer camp for high school students. This was a church camp, and we did a lot of the things that you normally do, worship and games and classes and things like that. But one night, we had a special activity. It was called Walk Through Hell. And if that sounds kind of crazy, trust me, it was. But anyway, for this activity, the campers were divided up into different groups. And each group, one at a time, walked through the woods on this trail. And as we went through this trail, there were different dramatic scenes that you would encounter. In one scene, you, you met a group of teenagers. In another scene, you, you saw these teenagers get in a car wreck. And then later on, you saw these teenagers, after they died, they're in the afterlife. And they're telling you what it's like. And for those who did not give their lives to Christ, they're in hell. And, and they're, they're telling you how terrible it is and how they wish they made a different decision. Now, you may or may not think it's good to use scare tactics like that, but don't get distracted here. That's not why I'm telling you this story. I'm telling you this because of the role that I played in this drama. I played the part of Satan. Not sure how that happened, <laughs> but here's how it went. Uh, when the campers got to the end of the trail, they were led back to the cafeteria, and they sat down at a table with their group. And... Some of these kids were really shook up. Uh, some of them were crying. Some of them were holding each other. It was intense. And then uh, my assignment as the devil was to be really friendly. I was kind of dressed up. I was wearing a tie and a jacket, and I had a tray of snacks, and I went around to each table, and, and I sort of comforted them. I, I was just friendly and compassionate. And then after the last group made it back to the cafeteria, I gave a speech in front of everyone. And I started off very friendly, but as time went by, my, my tone changed. And I was just following the script here, but I started criticizing this whole activity. I said, why, why would the camp leaders make you guys do something like this? Why would they want to upset you? Then I took things to another level. I said, none of this stuff is real anyway. No one is going to spend eternity in a, in a lake of fire. A loving God would never do that. And as I went along, I, my, my voice got louder and louder, and I sounded crazier and crazier. And then I, I was talking about Jesus himself. I told them that Jesus was a fraud, and they shouldn't believe anything they heard at this camp. It's disturbing, I know. But finally, another person entered the room. It was a guy dressed up as Jesus. And he walked toward me, and then I turned to him, and I yelled directly at him. I started screaming. And I don't know exactly what he said, but in, in some way he told me to get out. And so I did. I walked out of the building into the dark, and I stood there by myself. And this is the part that I feel led to tell you about. As I stood out there in the night, 
my whole body started shaking. I can't quite explain how I felt, but it was horrible. I felt this sense of darkness come over me. It was, it was a tangible darkness. It wasn't just disturbing. It was terrifying. And so I prayed in the name of Jesus, and I asked God to take that darkness away, and instantly it was gone, but I was still really shaken up. And I decided then and there that I would never again open myself up to that kind of evil. Now, the truth is, I, I, I've avoided even thinking about that night. But I'm telling you this because it's part of my story. And it's part of why I am confident that Ephesians 6.12 is real. Now, some of you might say, well, I've never experienced anything like that. And, and I get it. Uh, some of you may be more rational about this stuff. May, maybe you're one of those people who kind of downplay spiritual warfare. Uh, you might look at the stories in the Bible where people are possessed by a demon and say, I don't think that stuff happens today. We know better. We know that mental illness comes from physiological or psychological causes or past trauma. It's not the work of Satan. And uh, listen, Mental illness can often have physiological or psychological causes, and there's nothing in the Bible that contradicts that. However, if you think every problem in this world can be explained by what we know from science, I believe Jesus would say that you are being naive. For example, over in Europe right now, we have a power-hungry dictator who's doing evil things. But let's go back in time to Adolf Hitler. How do you explain Hitler and everything that happened back then? Would you say that Hitler was just chemically imbalanced? What about all of those people, millions of people, who looked to Hitler as a hero, and they believed his lies, and they supported him as he murdered millions of other people? What's up with that? Here's another thing to think about. With all of our advances in education and science and technology, why is it that our society can't seem to make a better world? Well, solve one problem and then other problems just pop up. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. For example, over 150 years ago, we ended one form of slavery, but slavery is still running wild today, just in other forms. Sex trafficking, forced labor, Children being made to serve as soldiers. About 40 million people live in slavery still today. That's about one in 200 of the world's population. But we don't have to look at this on a global scale. Let's just take it down to the individual level, you and me. Why is it that we seem unable to do the things that we set out to do? We not only break God's rules... We, set up, we, we break the rules that we set up for ourselves. We'll make a, a New Year's resolution and then break it before the end of February. Why is that? Well, many people may try to explain that away, but the truth is there's something spiritual going on here. Satan is a real spiritual enemy, and we don't know exactly how he works, but he is working, and he's out to destroy us. But there is good news in all of this. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we read this. 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And this is really interesting. Let's think about this. If somebody asked you why Jesus came into this world, what would you say? I think most Christians would say, well, Jesus came to the world to die on the cross and save me from our sins. And that's accurate, but it's also incomplete. Jesus did come to save us from our sins, but that wasn't his only purpose. He also came to bring glory to his heavenly Father. He also came, as we see here in 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the devil's work. And that last purpose is what we're focusing on today. So if you have a Bible with you, pull up Luke chapter 11. We're going to read the story that I mentioned earlier. And this story begins when Jesus frees a man who was possessed by a devil, by, the de- by a demon. Luke chapter 11, verse 14, it says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Now, we should notice something here. Uh, whenever Jesus casts out a demon, uh, there's no fight. The, the demon just has to do what Jesus tells him to do. Uh, Jesus has authority over every spiritual power in the dark world. But on this particular day, there's a group of people watching, and they want to undermine the authority of Jesus. Verse 15, but some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So a couple things to point out here. First, Who is making this accusation? Well, Luke doesn't tell us, but if you read Matthew's version of the story, we find out the Pharisees are the ones throwing shade at Jesus. And they get pretty ugly. The Pharisees are Jewish religious leaders. They just don't like Jesus for a lot of reasons. And here, they associate him with Beelzebul. And what is that about? Well, Bible scholars believe the name Beelzebul refers to an old pagan god. And that name means Lord of the Flies or Lord of Dung. It's not a flattering title. But here in this verse, there's no doubt that Beelzebul is a reference to Satan, the prince of demons. So the Pharisees are saying that Jesus is satanic. That's a pretty serious accusation. So what are the Pharisees thinking here? Well, the Jewish religious leaders, they've been watching Jesus for a while now, and they can't deny that he is a great miracle worker. Uh, His track record is solid, and too many people have seen what he's capable of. So they can't deny the power. They also can't uh, afford to ignore Jesus. So that leaves them with two options. Number one, they can admit that his power is from God. Or number two, they can make a claim that his power comes from Satan. And as we saw, they chose option two. So what does Jesus do next? Well, he confronts these guys, and he has a few arguments, a few rebuttals. Let's keep reading, verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. So this argument is pretty simple. If Jesus belonged to team Satan, he'd be working for him, not against him. 
Satan wouldn't drive out one of his own demons. It's common sense, but then Jesus makes another statement. He says in verse 19, Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Apparently, the Pharisees had some demon fighters of their own. And in verse 19, Jesus makes another common sense argument. If Jesus is satanic because he cast out demons, well, that argument would also apply to the other Jewish exorcists. In other words, guys, you can't have a double standard here. But then in verse 20, as Jesus goes on, he mentions our big theme, the kingdom of God. He says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, right here, it helps if we go back to the definition that we've been using. Remember that? The kingdom of God is any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. And how does that apply here? Well, a few verses ago, when Jesus cast out that demon, the kingdom of God showed up. When, whenever God rules and reigns, evil has to flee. Jesus was destroying the devil's work before their very eyes. But Jesus also gives us an explanation that helps us understand more of what's going on here. Look at verse 21. He says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Now, this is like a mini parable. It's a metaphor. And let's break it down. Who would that strong man be? Well, that's Satan. And then who is the stronger man? Well, that would be Jesus, right? But do you see yourself in this little parable? Where would you be? Well, you would be one of those possessions. This is what Satan wants. He wants to own you. He wants to possess you so that he can destroy you. But look at what Jesus does here. He walks into Satan's domain, beats him senseless, strips away his armor, and carries away his possessions. And that is not just a parable. That's exactly what Jesus did when he came to this world. He defeated Satan, and he made it possible for us to have freedom. And if you have given your life over to Jesus, this is your current reality. You are free. But imagine a different scenario. What if Jesus won your freedom, but you chose to remain one of Satan's possession? That would be crazy, right? That's exactly what many people do. And that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing in this story. So Jesus calls them out. He says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus draws a very clear line. If you're not with me, you're against me. And I got to tell you, that's still true today. Sometimes we might want to ride the fence. We might say, eh, I don't think I want to give myself fully to Jesus, 
I've still got a few things that I don't want to let go of, but that doesn't mean I belong to Satan. I'm basically a good guy. I, I, I try to do good. But Jesus says, no, that, that's not an option. You are totally with him or you're totally against him. And trust me, you don't want to be on the wrong team here. You don't want to align yourself with the powers of darkness. And why is that? Well, because the kingdom of God is infinitely more powerful than the kingdom of evil. And by the way, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have made him your king, take comfort in this truth. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, you don't have anything to fear when it comes to demons. So let's not fall into superstitious beliefs regarding demons. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're active in this world. But they are in full submission to Jesus. It's like we read in 1 John 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So let's walk in this truth. Jesus has already won the battle. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but Jesus actually defeated three enemies. We've talked about Satan. But can you identify the other two enemies? Here's the list. You've got Satan, but you've also got sin and death itself. Jesus defeated all three of those enemies 2,000 years ago. When he went to the cross, he died in our place and he broke the power of sin. And then when Jesus rose from the grave, he put death to death. And then in both the crucifixion and the resurrection, he proved that Satan has no power or dominion over him. He has won every battle. But if that's the case, why are we still surrounded by evil and suffering? It's a good question. I was reading a book for the perspectives class, and, and they had a great explanation for this. If you know your World War II history, you know about D-Day. You know that D-Day was a massive invasion into Nazi territory. The Allies landed in France on the coast of Normandy and they started to liberate Europe one piece of land at a time. And military historians will tell you that after D-Day, Germany basically had no chance of winning the war in Europe. It was pretty much a matter of time at that point. But... The war still continued for almost a year. D-Day happened in June of 1944. But there was another important day. It's called VE Day, Victory Over Europe. And that was May 8th, 1945. So almost a year between those two events. But there was still a lot that happened in between. There were still many battles to fight, still many casualties. In just one battle, the Battle of the Bulge, 19,000 Americans died. So do you see the comparison here? The time we're living in right now is a lot like that time in between D-Day and V-E Day. It's because Jesus has already defeated evil, but he hasn't destroyed evil yet. That's why we still see war and sickness and murder and death. Jesus established a beachhead 
The kingdom of God is here, and his kingdom will prevail. But we still have some hard fighting ahead of us. It's okay, though. You can rest assured, our enemies will be destroyed. Satan and sin and death itself. You can read about this in the book of Revelation. I have to tell you, though, you might find it kind of anticlimactic. Uh, Here's how it goes down. In Revelation 20, Satan gathers this massive army. It says his troops are as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. And Satan's army surrounds the camp of God's people. This is Armageddon. It's going to be a gigantic battle like something from Lord of the Rings. But then, before this battle even starts, it's over. I'll read it for you. Revelation 20, verse 9. Satan's forces are ready to attack, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We know how the story ends. Our enemies haven't been destroyed yet, but their days are numbered. And why? You know why. The kingdom of God is infinitely more powerful than the kingdom of evil. All it takes is a single word from Jesus. And the powers of evil are destroyed. So, what does this mean for us today? How can any of this change your life this week? Well, I'll give you two things. Number one, make sure you're on the right team. You don't have to be one of Satan's possessions. And if you haven't given your life to Christ yet, don't wait. Do that today. We'd love to help you make that decision. But then here's the second thing. If you already belong to Jesus, here's how your life will change this week. Here's how your life can change. You see, over the next few days, uh, Satan will try to mess with you. I can't give you a specific time or a specific place, but he will come after you. And when he does, he'll try to tempt you to fall into that same old sin that you've always struggled with. Or he'll tell you some lie from the pit of hell. And Satan is the father of lies. And his lies will lead you to depression or anxiety or addiction or rage or self-hatred. And yes, any of those things can be tied to physiological or psychological causes, but there is always a spiritual element in the mix. Always. And if we try to win our spiritual battles without Jesus, we're headed for defeat. So how can the power of Jesus show up in our lives? Well, for one thing, you can fight the devil's lies by holding on to the truth. Fill your head and your heart with the truth of God's Word every single day. Scripture will help you identify and reject the devil's lies. There's another vital way to connect to the power of Jesus. It's prayer. Urgent, desperate, consistent prayer. There's another episode. It's over in Mark 9. And the disciples of Jesus try to cast out a demon without his help, and they can't do it. So Jesus steps in, and he gets the job done. And later, the disciples come to him, and they ask, 
Why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. Now let's ask ourselves a question. Is this how we think about prayer? Do we see prayer as a weapon that will unleash the power of God against the forces of evil? According to Jesus, that's exactly what prayer is. And when we pray the way Jesus did, we get to watch as the kingdom of God rolls back the powers of evil. And God wants us to be a part of this. He wants to use us to advance His kingdom, uh, to spread His rule and show the world what it looks like when the true king is on the throne, ruling in power and justice and grace and glory. See, Jesus came not only to get you into heaven. He came not only to give you peace like a river. He wants to use you to plunder God's, or plunder Satan's kingdom. It starts with prayer. That's why we're praying these words throughout this year. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A few days ago, a phrase popped into my head and I don't know if it's something I heard in the past or if God just gave it to me. But here's the phrase. A prayerless church is a powerless church. That's true. Because if we're not praying, we're trying to go it alone. And the disciples learned it's a bad idea to go it alone. So let's do a quick check here at Plum Creek. Are we a praying church? We've said this is a big priority as we go through this year of the kingdom. That's why we're putting out a special prayer calendar every month in 2022. We're almost to the end of the second month, and I want to ask you, have you been praying? For example, every Thursday, the calendar tells us to pray for the lost. Pray for at least five friends, relatives, or neighbors who need Jesus. Pray that they will be free from the powers of sin and death and Satan. Pray that they will find forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through Jesus. Have you been praying those prayers? You know, you don't have to use this calendar, but if you haven't been using the calendar, have you been praying those prayers? Prayerless church is powerless church. So let's not settle for that. Let's connect with the only power that can bring true victory. In just a moment, the band is going to come and they're going to lead us and we're going to sing to our God, our God who is mighty to save. And then we'll have an opportunity to go to our God in prayer. Let's stand together and let's worship and sing.
talk about prayer we need to pray urgently desperately and consistently so we're going to take just a couple minutes right now and all of us in the room I invite you to pray go before our God we've got several prayer points here we could pray for peace in Ukraine and in our world uh, lift up the victims of the war the families that are going through just a terrible time Maybe you need to focus on confession, repenting of some sin in your life, asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. You can also pray for specific people who are lost by name, people who need that life-changing relationship with Jesus. Or you can pray for someone who needs God's help to fight a difficult battle, maybe physical or maybe spiritual. So if you want to sit down, you can. If you want to remain standing, you can. If you want to circle up and pray with somebody out loud, you, you can do that as well. We're just going to take a couple minutes and pray. Go to God as a church. You can do this at home if you're watching online too. Well, let's pray.
Father, I want to praise You right now. You are mighty to save. I know uh, there are lots of things that happen in this world that uh, are behind the scenes. We don't know that they're happening. There's a lot that we don't know. But I believe we have a real spiritual enemy. There is a strong man. But I praise You that there is a stronger man and greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. And I call on the power of Your Spirit in the name of Jesus. We lift these requests to You. We ask for You to work. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, that that was just a short amount of time. And we're going to dismiss here in in a, a minute, but you know, I don't want to cut off this prayer time. So we're going to leave the lights kind of low. And if you need to leave, that's fine. Uh, but I ask that you would leave kind of quietly. And uh, if you want to stay and pray, man, you can come down to the front. You can stay right where you are. But wow, we don't want to go it alone. We need God's help. So let's be that praying church. If today you know that you haven't made that decision to be on the right team, you haven't given your life to Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be down front here. You could also stop at the Connection Cafe on your way out. Someone would be glad to talk to you there, pray with you, or answer any questions that you have about the church. So, officially, we're dismissed. But I invite you to stay and pray if you need to do that.